Well, good morning, church family. Um, it is a pleasure to serve as one of your elders here, as, as Mark mentioned, and it is a joy to be able to communicate God's word this morning. Um, some of you already know who I am, but in case you don't, let me tell you a little bit about me. Um, I am married to my wonderful wife, Judy, and this Friday we celebrate 16 years of, of marriage together. So happy anniversary, Judy. Um, you don't always get to do that, so that was free. That was nice. Uh, but we also have two kids. Jordania is eight years old, and Matthew is six. And one of the joys of parenting is to watch your kids grow in their knowledge of, of what life is all about, grow in the knowledge of the Lord and the Word, uh, and to watch them as they work through their struggles. And, and one of the struggles my kids have, believe it or not, is how to forgive. I know your kids, if you guys have kids, um, never struggle with that, but mine do. Uh, when they have to forgive, and of course they're encouraged by their parents to forgive, it's always fine, I forgive you, and very heartfelt, heartfelt right? But then I thought, you know, as, as they grow older, it doesn't get any easier. Because how many of us today as adults still struggle with forgiveness? Um, it was C.S. Lewis who said, everyone, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. And you know, that's the same thing that the Corinthians were dealing with in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to see that as Paul deals with this church in Corinth, and as we know from our study of 2 Corinthians, the relationship that Paul had with the church in Corinth was pretty difficult. Um, and of the many issues that he had to struggle with them teaching in 1 Corinthians, and now we're in 2 Corinthians He's going to teach him that it is not only important, but it is absolutely necessary that the church learn how to forgive. So today we're going to talk about the necessity of forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 5 through 11. The Word of God says this. Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So as Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth, we have to remember that the church in Corinth had not always had a wonderful relationship with Paul. In fact, you could, you could describe his relationship with them as tumultuous at best. Um, they had... Issues that they sometimes would not listen to the Apostle Paul. Uh, they had people that were denying his apostleship, which is one of the reasons why Paul is writing this letter, this, this what we call 2 Corinthians. But as Paul is going to write to them about the necessity of forgiveness, and we, I see three different, different elements of this in, in Paul's paragraph that we're reading today. First, he's going to talk about the pain of forgiveness. And that's the first point in your outline, is the pain of forgiveness. You might say, but it doesn't hurt to say you're forgiven, although for some people it's really difficult, it might. But we say pain and forgiveness because the reason you have to forgive is because pain was caused. There was, there was hurt. And when we see the effect, letter A in your outline, of this pain, as we read the first verse, verse five, 
It says, now if anyone has caused pain, we'll stop right there. Out of all the people, Paul was hurt by the church in Corinth. Pastor David started teaching this in the last couple of verses last week. For example, in verse, in verse three of the same chapter, Paul says, and I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. And then in verse four, he says, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. The church in Corinth hurt Paul. That's why he's saying, I didn't want to come yet. Because that's why I wanted to write, so I wouldn't have to, to suffer pain from those of whom I should be rejoicing. So Paul was, without a doubt, hurt by the church in Corinth. But look how he starts verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, Paul was one of the recipients. He says, he's caused it not to me. He said, I'm not thinking about myself. And we see Paul's humility here. He's saying that I do not take it personally. I, I forgive them. But more importantly, what I think he's talking about in verse five is that the, the pain, the effect of the pain was felt by the whole church. Because you see how verse five finishes? He says, if someone caused pain, it wasn't really about me. He said, but not to put it too severely, not to overstate it, not to be burdensome, but the pain was felt by who? By all of you. And see, Paul is reminding us that sin never affects just you. It affects everybody. And see, that's the problem with things that we do that are wrong, is that it hurts everybody. Be careful, because so many people are deceived, and they think that, well, well what happened was between me and this other person. It, it doesn't hurt anybody else. Oh, my friends, that's a lie. And, and you know it's a lie, because it does, that's not true in your house, in your home. If one person sins, how many people in your household are affected? Everybody. And it's the same thing in the church. It's the same thing. When one person sins, it affects the fellowship of the church. It affects the community of the church, the unity of the church. And see, that's one of the reasons why church membership is so important. Because as members, we covenant with each other to keep each other in the faith. To encourage each other to continue faithfully. And when we see somebody fall into sin, to exhort them to be faithful to Christ and to repent. Because sin affects all of us. That's the effect of the pain. But then, but Paul is talking specifically about somebody. And this is the offense. Letter B in your outline. Uh, Paul says, now if anyone has caused pain, and the understanding is that yes, somebody has caused pain. So who is it? What happened? And there are some Bible scholars that believe that in Paul's painful visit to the church in Corinth, there was a man who who rebelled against Paul and who led her basically a revolt against Paul and confronted him to his face. Basically saying that you are not a valid apostle, you don't have authority from God. And some people believe that that is the person who Paul is referring to. Um, I, on the other hand, believe, along with some other Bible, Bible scholars, that Paul is referring to a man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I put that reference on your, on your outline as well. Listen to what Paul says about this man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul says... It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For although absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. 
So when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So there was this man in the church in Corinth who had an immoral, incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And the church was tolerant of that. I think they were, they were more than tolerant. They were proud of the fact that they were tolerant. So we are such a grace-driven church that you can come in, you can be a sinner, and, and we don't care. We just love everybody all the same. Paul said, no, you, you can't do that because one person's sin affects the entire church. He says, shouldn't you mourn? Shouldn't you confront him in love and say, my brother, if you profess to know Christ, you cannot keep living like this. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He says, guys, sin affects the whole church. My dear brother and sister in Christ, if today you are living in sin, your sin does not affect just you. It affects everybody. And what we're going to see here is that part of our responsibility as members one with another is to lovingly confront each other and say, I love you too much to allow you to keep living like this. Please repent, turn from your sins, be reconciled to God and to the family. The church in Corinth obeyed Paul when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And they disciplined him. He would not repent of his sins. And so they cast him out from among their fellowship. But then time elapsed, and God used the discipline of the church to do a work in this man's heart, and he repented of his sin. Maybe he repented for the first time and was actually born again at this time. We don't know. But he returned to the church asking to be reconciled. And so now Paul says, this man had been disciplined. He has been repentant. And now, church, it's time to forgive. So there, there is pain in forgiveness, and we all know that very well if we have been hurt. But then Paul goes on to talk about the process of forgiveness. Now that he says to the church, you have to forgive. This is what God wants of us and of you. How does that look in the case of a church discipline? So he gives us a couple of ideas. In the first part of this process is letter A on your outline, effective church discipline. Look at verse six. He says, we're back in 2 Corinthians chapter two. He said, for such a one, the one that caused this pain, that committed the sin that affected everybody, this punishment by the majority is enough. If you listen to Pastor David's Beyond the Notes this past week, and I hope you did, I hope you subscribe to those because they are so incredibly rich with even more knowledge of God's word that we don't have time in this time here today to talk about. But he talked about the element of tough love in church discipline. How we are called to love somebody enough to call them out when they sin. And it's tough love not only for the person receiving it, but also for the member giving it. It's hard to confront somebody. But it is so important for the health of our church. You see, when you truly love somebody, sometimes you have to allow them to experience pain if you find out they're going to hurt themselves or others or the testimony of the Lord. And unfortunately, church discipline um, is not a popular topic to teach from the pulpit. It is widely not practiced at all. In fact, many churches and many pastors avoid it like the plague. But the, and they would rather just, just sweep issues under the carpet, right? Instead of doing what the Bible says in boldly confronting them while speaking the truth in love. Because the problem with sweeping issues under the carpet is that they have the tendency to come back 
and come back with a vengeance. They have a tendency to multiply themselves and create worse problems later on. But we are called to listen to the words of Jesus Christ. And I am blessed to be in a church that actually practices church discipline. Is it easy? No. Is it fun? No. Is it healthy? Absolutely. And in Matthew chapter 18, we have the words from our Lord Jesus Christ himself that teach us how we should deal with sin in our midst. So let me review this really fast. We'll go back to 2 Corinthians. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus Christ says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's step one. So if somebody has done something against you, if you are offended by somebody else, or if you see sin in somebody else's life that affects you, your responsibility, according to the word of God, is you go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. And you say, my brother, my sister, I I see this in your life. I don't think it's right. Um, Let's talk about this. I I think this is sin. And if they listen to you, or if you listen to them, if if it's the other way around, and you repent, that's, that's the end of church discipline. And you have won your brother or sister to Christ. Um, this happened to me not too long ago. There, was a, there, there is a dear brother in this church whom I love and greatly esteem. And he had said some things about me. Uh, I don't, not intentionally, but they, were, they weren't, it wasn't communicated in a way that was edifying, quite the opposite. And so I, I went to him by myself and said, my brother, I, I love you. Maybe I misunderstood, but this is what you said. And this is how I felt. And and it really hurt. And he told me he did not realize that what he said had that effect on me. And and, and he apologized for it. And we were restored, reconciled. And today, our relationship is is closer, is more intimate than it was before the conflict. I've also been on the other side of that. Uh, Also, not too long ago, uh, I had a sister in this church come up to me because something I said and did was offensive to her. And it's probably because I'm just hard-headed, like many guys are, and I especially am. I didn't even realize what I said or did was even remotely offensive, but she let me realize that why she interpreted it that way. And I said, my sister, I was never intending to offend you, but I see that I did. I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? And she did. She was applying Matthew 18. You see, this first step should be happening all the time and is happening all the time in this church because nobody else knows about it. So when you see sin in somebody else's life. When you are offended by somebody, don't just let it sit and don't think about it and mull over it. No, in love, say, my sister, my brother, this hurt. Um, What happened? So that's step one. But say, I did not respond in repentance. It keeps on going, chapter, verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So say, I did not repent. Say, no, you're full of it. I didn't do that. Forget it. Then you're bringing two or three godly men or people that know me and say, Peter, we love you, my brother, but this has got to stop. We see this in your life. Don't, don't, don't you see this? This is sin. Please repent and be reconciled. Step two. If, if I listen to them, once again, I'm restored. The relationship is strengthened, and we go on. But, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. If you refuse to listen to the two or three witnesses, then they have to bring it to the church. 
And we've had this happen here. Only a handful of times where we have come before you, the congregation, in a member meeting and say, if you know this brother or sister, if you know this person, please reach out to them in love. Beg them, please repent of your sin. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to your church. And if they still do not repent, the Bible says that we are to treat them, here it says, as a gentleman, as, as a tax collector. It's as an unbeliever. Because, because of their unrepentance, it is obvious that they love their sin more than they love their Savior, whom they profess to know. And we no longer, we no longer can vouch for their testimony. And we put them outside of fellowship, outside of the, of the communion, outside of the body of Christ. And we witness to them as if they were not a believer. So this happened in 2 Corinthians. So this, this, this man in the church was unrepentant, and so they, they excommunicated him from the church. But then, because of his discipline, he repented. And now he came back to the church. Some, some young parents today have this modern view of raising kids where they say, well, I can't, I can't discipline my children because I love them too much. Well, for one thing, that's hogwash, because if you truly love them, you would discipline them. You see, the man here in, in 1 Corinthians 5, the man who Paul confronted and the man who the church disciplined was actually helped because of the loving attention this church gave them. When I was a child, my dad made a wooden paddle. You have no clue what that was for, right? It's about that big. It's a good size. Um, and, and on one side, he had printed in, in really nice handwriting, very elegant letters. It said, from the Board of Education flip side, to the seat of understanding. <laughs> and, and I'm here to testify this morning that my seat understood the education of that board many times. Um, and although I wasn't always appreciative of the discipline at the moment, I can tell you one thing, is that I deserved far more than I received. And today as I look back, I thank God for godly parents who loved me enough to discipline me and to keep me from harming myself. Effective church discipline. But it doesn't stop there. Paul continues. The second part of the process of forgiveness is extravagant forgiveness. Extravagant forgiveness. Look at verse 7. So, instead of just letting the punishment be enough and keep on kicking him when he's down, says, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Usually in the New Testament, when the verb forgive appears, it's the Greek word aphiomi, which means to, to send out, to put away, to keep no longer. It means to forgive. But here, Paul changes vocabulary. Here, when Paul says forgive, he uses the word karisomai, which is from the root word karis, which means gift or grace. And the word karisomai means to bestow a favor unconditionally. It means to give freely. And behind the vocabulary of Paul's words is his incredible awareness of the grace that God has given him in the forgiveness of his sins. You see, this is a picture of Christ. This is what Jesus Christ did for us. That same Greek word, karisomai, uh, is used also in another passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Ephesians 4, 32 says, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ, karisomai, forgave you extended grace, gave you a favor that you do not deserve. Oh, my friend, if you are outside of Christ this morning, 
see that God has already extended his forgiveness to you, his extravagant grace, long before you even knew to accept it, long before you even knew to ask for it. Remember what the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were as yet sinners, Christ died for us. More so than any man or woman can sin against you or me, we have sinned against the holy God. And we deserve his wrath, his eternal judgment on our sins because of what we have done. But God demonstrated the ultimate expression of his forgiveness in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to to die on the cross to bear the weight and, and the penalty of my sin and of your sin. And he did that and then he proved that the payment was sufficient by raising him from the dead three days later so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be saved, be accepted, be loved through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have not done so yet, come to Christ. Come to Christ today. Repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in the only source of forgiveness and eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection. So Paul says, when a brother or sister in sin repents and they come back, forgive them, show extravagant grace. But then it keeps on going in verse seven, you should forgive him and comfort him. Now this word comfort is not new to us in our study of 2 Corinthians. We saw this in chapter one, right? Look back in chapter one, verses three and four. When it talks about God, he calls him the father of mercy, of all mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us and allows us to comfort others. You see, the word comfort in Greek is parakaleo, which means to come alongside. And so what Paul is saying in the context of forgiveness is that when, when a brother or sister repents of their sin and they come back, you extend grace, but then you come alongside, you encourage them, you, you prop them up, you lift them up, you help them understand. You see, when, when the, if the only thing that we do when somebody among us falls into sin is to discipline them, and to punish them. And upon their repentance, we, if we do not extend grace and forgiveness and comfort them, look what happens in verse 7. They will be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. The point of church discipline is not excommunication. It's restoration. And that's the same point of, of sorrow in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, just a couple pages over, verse 10, Paul says, For godly grief or godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, the whole point of sorrow, of discipline, is to bring the person to repentance, to help them realize that what they are doing, how they are living, is incorrect and we cannot keep living in this way. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, the goal, the goal is restoration. Uh, and, and I fear that so many times there are people who have been disciplined by a church, and probably rightfully so, because of a sin, an unrepentant sin in their lives. And let's say that they were disciplined, they were excommunicated from the church, or whatever the discipline was. And God used that 
to create a conviction in their heart of repentance and they repent of their sins and now they, they love the Lord more now than they did before and they come back to the church only to find the door slammed shut in their face. And they're, they're greeted with a, a pharisaical attitude of someone who does not even realize that it is by the pure grace of God that he breathes his next breath. May that not be said of McGregor. May that not be said of who we are. When a brother or sister who has fallen into sin repents, maybe, may we be accepting with open arms. And what, what Galatians 6.1 says that the purpose is to restore them. He says that if any of you are caught into sin, those who are spiritual among you, who are the spiritual? Elders? Life group teachers? No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about those of us who walk in the spirit. That's you and me if we're believers in Christ. We are to restore them. The word restore means to heal or to mend. It's, it's the word picture of, of setting a broken bone. Let me ask you a question. Does it hurt to set and heal a broken bone? Yes or no? Absolutely. Does it happen overnight? Of course not. See, the process of confrontation of sin, the consequences of sin, and the forgiveness of sin is painful. It's a painful process. But in that process, the repentant brother or sister is restored and matured. The unity of the body of Christ is strengthened. And our witness in the community is proclaimed even louder than before. There's another part to this process, and that is in verse 8 extended love. He says, so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, to, to confirm it, to establish it as something that is valid. You, you love him, you say? Or prove it, Paul says. Come alongside him. Encourage him. Lift her up. Let him understand that, yes, there are consequences for sin, but that God's grace and his mercy is there to lift them up. One of the things that I, I remember most about my discipline growing up is that after I was disciplined, and yes, there were consequences, yes, there were tears, yes, there was remorse, but after that, my dad would call me over and he would wrap his arms around me and say, Peter, I love you too much to let you keep living like this. And he would help me understand how to grow, how to live a life that pleases the Lord. That's what forgiveness looks like. You might say, well, Peter, why is it that important? Why is Paul a stickler for forgiveness? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look how it ends. This is the purpose, is the third point in your outline, the purpose of forgiveness. And the first purpose we see in verse 9 is to implement our obedience. Look at verse 9. For this is why I wrote, says Paul, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. You see, the, ch the church was obedient in rebuking the unrepentant brother in 1 Corinthians 5. And Paul says, now that he's repented, will you be obedient in restoring and reconciling him? And he says, I've written so that you may be obedient in everything. I, I like cafeteria lines. And one of the reasons I like them is that I can go through with my tray and say, I would like a little bit of that, a little bit of that. I like, Ooh, not that. No, 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 no. This. But see, the Christian life is not like a, like a cafeteria line. We can't pick and choose what we're going to be obedient in. We are called to learn and to obey the whole counsel of God's word. My question is this, as the Lord reveals to you through his word areas in your life in which you need to take some action, are you obedient in everything? Am I? Paul says one of the purpose of forgiveness, and maybe, maybe the area of obedience in your life is forgiveness today. 
maybe there is somebody that you need to extend forgiveness to. Paul said that's one of the reasons. That's one of the purposes of forgiveness. The second one is to imitate Christ. Paul says this in verse 10. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Literally, in the face of Christ. Paul says, as if Christ were right here with me, that's how I want to act in terms of my forgiveness. See, there was no retaliation. There was no personal vendetta against a person, but rather, there, there, there was no, I can forgive, but I sure can't forget kind of attitude with Paul. See, Paul's personal example of forgiveness is an example for us of what Christ taught his disciples about forgiveness. You know, we are called to forgive because he has forgiven us. In Colossians 3, verse 13, Paul says this. He says, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Look at this line. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You see, the basis of Christian forgiveness is forgive because you have been forgiven. It is told that a man once uh, made this comment, a proud comment to John Wesley said, I never forgive. To which John Wesley aptly replied, then sir, I hope you never sin. You see, we all have sinned and we all, by God's grace, have been offered forgiveness. When a person says, well, Peter, I, I just can't forgive. It's, I know they said it was wrong and they've asked for forgiveness, but the hurt is too deep. I, just, I can't. You know what that shows me? That shows me a person who has completely forgotten of what they have been forgiven. See, you are never more like Christ than when you forgive. Paul says one more thing in verse 11. One of the, another purpose for the necessity of forgiveness in the church and in your life and mine is to impede the enemy. It says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. The word design, sometimes translated schemes, means a well-thought-out idea. And in Greek, there's a word play here. It says that we are not mindless of his mindful intentions. And in, in Beyond the Notes in this, this week, I'm going to go through what some of these schemes and designs of the enemy are to attack the church. But for today, suffice it to say that Satan wants you to have an unforgiving spirit. Because if you do, and if we do as a church, our joy will be stolen. There, there will be bitterness and contention and strife among the body of Christ. And because of that, our testimony in the community will be diluted. That's what he wants. And that is what we will not give him. Today, my friend, if you are outside of Christ, if you have not yet repented of your sins because of God's incredible grace offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, what is stopping you from receiving that today? What's holding you back? Today could be the day of your salvation, of your forgiveness. I'll be down in front after the service if you have questions. Find and tackle an usher, ask them. If somebody invited you today, ask them, but don't leave this room today without knowing, with, without a shadow of a doubt, how to be forgiven, how to be saved, how to be accepted and loved through relationship with Jesus Christ. And for all of us, is there someone in your life today who needs your forgiveness? Don't wait. For some of you, that may mean that when you leave this, this sanctuary, you have to get on your phone and call somebody and forgive them. Don't wait for them to approach you. No, you take the initiative in showing God's extravagant grace as you implement your obedience and imitate Christ in forgiving. What would it be like 
What would it look like if we both as individuals and as a church body would be characterized by our tendency to forgive and to love instead of being quick to rebuke and to judge? Think of how that would change your home. Think of how that would change your workplace, your school, our community. Think of what that would change here at McGregor Baptist Church. By God's grace and by the working of the Holy Spirit within our lives, we will not allow Satan to outwit us. We will not allow him to gain an advantage over us. Church, let us be a church that forgives because Christ has forgiven us.